Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and Genesis and chapter number 2. The book of Genesis and chapter number 2. We're beginning this morning a brand new series entitled The Lineage of Christ. And what we're doing is that we're tracing the family line of the Lord Jesus Christ through his earthly lineage and beginning at Adam. Remember, Adam was the very first man, came pre-programmed from God. And from this lineage, we could see that as God had made promises to Abraham, as God had made promises to David, that he fulfilled and kept his promises and had kept this plan that he had in mind the entire time through the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this, it's just an interesting way of studying Bible history, of studying the Bible by its characters. But it also allows us a chance to study some of these people that you may not know much about. Now, of course, most people, if they've been in any type of a religious setting, they know something about Adam, and we'll talk about him today. But there's probably some people that you have not known that are going to be found in the lineage of Christ, and it would be good to know what kind of family he has. Now, again, some people have an idea that because they're in the lineage of Christ, everyone who goes through that lineage has to be perfect and righteous. I mean, after all, you have Mary, you have Abraham, the friend of God, you have David. Yes, but you also have through it some heathens. You have some evil people like Athaliah. You have in it some people who were not right with God. You had some people who got God so mad that he put a curse on anyone blood related to them that sat on the throne. And so to study through them, we also find an encouragement that it doesn't matter what your family has done in the past. You start from where you are. There's hope for the home. God can even use you wherever you're at. And we could see that God has never been disrupted by man's failings, but God is always in control. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we introduce and are introduced to the very first person in the lineage of Jesus Christ in the book of Genesis chapter number two. The book of Genesis chapter two, and let's start in verse number four. The book of Genesis chapter two, starting at verse number four. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God hath not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight 
and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. And the name of the first was Pison. And it is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. And there is Bedlam and Onyx stone. And the name of the uh, second river was Gihon. And the second is that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, which is it which goeth forth east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Out. Or, sorry, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And as we come here, notice if you don't mind, as we see this creation of man, and notice if you don't mind, in verse, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number seven, where we could see, and the Lord God formed man. And the Lord God formed man. And with this, we understand that the man was Adam. And we could see that he was made from God. So let's entitle this, if you don't mind, man or Adam, the first man. Adam, the first man. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And now as we start something new and we're explaining a concept and doing a character study, I'm very conscious of my need of you even today, that I dare not trust my own, my intellect, my research, my, my time of study. Lord, I, I count all of that just but loss. And I'm just asking that you would take charge, fill me with your spirit, that you would just use me as your instrument, but you would get your own work accomplished through your precious word, that we can trust you. And that you could teach us more about this first man, and that we could apply it to our own lives as we see whom you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now as we come here, we know in Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of the world. And God lists six specific individual days of creation. Now as we come to chapter number 2, it's not dealing with a brand new day. But what it's doing is it's going back to day number 6. And it's expanding all that happened within day 6. The sixth day of creation. And as he does that, he now introduces us to the very first man, the very first one that God created by the name of Adam. By the way, the word Adam just means man. That's what his name means. He means man. So if you were going to talk about Adam, you'd say Adam, man, man. Eve, who we're going to be introduced to a little bit later in the chapter, her name means mother of all. And she was made from Adam. Now, man himself is special Because he alone was created in the image of God. Remember that man is made up of three parts. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 We're made up of spirit. We're made up of soul. And we're made up of body. That it's a a trinity that God has made us. Three parts. And that we follow after the image of God. Or at least Adam did. Now what made us special? Well, with it, we had language and thought. That's something that we have that makes us unique from the rest of creation. We have language and thought. We also have uh, the awareness of the difference between right and wrong. That's something that man has that others don't. Now, you could train an animal, but they don't understand what makes something right and makes something wrong. Of course, we can look at our world around us and we can pretty much look at the rest of man and say they can't tell the difference between right and wrong either. But that is something that we have the ability to to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. We have the awareness of it. Something else that God had created with us was the freedom to make choices. Now, we talked about this in Sunday school, that what serves God better? Someone who is forced to serve God or someone who chooses to serve God. Well, of course, the one who chooses. And that's something that God made specially unique with us as humans is that God has created us with the choice to serve him. Now, unfortunately, with that choice, some people choose not to serve him. We could choose not to do right. We can choose to go against God. But the purpose of it is that God didn't give us this choice to have the freedom to sin, he gave us this liberty for the purpose of choosing to follow after him because we want to, not because we had to. That is something that God made special and unique with us. In fact, man was God's crown jewel of creation. Of course, we probably hurt him quite a bit with this crown jewel, but that was the intention. We were the pinnacle of his creation, someone that was able to understand right and wrong and still choose to follow after God anyways. Now, as we examine this, there's a couple things I want to show you. First of all, Adam in the garden. Adam in the garden. Notice with me as we look at Genesis chapter 2. Notice with me in verse number 4. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. Now this brings us back to the sixth day, but I want you to notice this. This phrase, these are the generations, are found 14 times within the book of Genesis. The idea of generations carries the idea of a lineage or a family history. And so within it, you'll see in Genesis, this is the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of the son of Noah. You'll see it on Terah, Ishmael, uh, (laughs) Isaac, 
Esau, and the sons of Esau and Isaac. But as God starts here, he says something unique about it. And in verse number four, these are the generations of the heaven and of the earth in which they were created. You know what God is doing? Is that God is placing Adam in the same pedigree of creation. What does that mean? That God had created creation, each of the things on the earth, the beast, the field, the earth, the heaven, the sun, the stars. He created them and Adam. And they were all special creations from God. By the way, in the book of Matthew chapter 1, which we had studied as an introduction on Wednesday, it says these are the generations of Jesus Christ. Or actually, it says these are the generation singular of Jesus Christ. It moved from the plural to the singular. With Jesus, there's a brand new family, and this is the generation of Jesus Christ. And now because of Jesus Christ, we have something special and unique. And this first generation, these are the generation of heaven and earth. Once again, God is putting emphasis that this was something special and unique that has not been done before. Adam was the very first man. By the way, I believe the Bible is true. I believe that God created the world in six literal 24-hour periods. And because of that, Adam was not a caveman who finally became to consciousness. He is specially created by God. In fact, it's my belief so much that Adam didn't even have a belly button. He didn't need it. Because he didn't have, uh, he wasn't in the womb. He didn't have to be connected to his mother. Imagine being their little kids growing up and say, how come you don't have one of those? Well, it's because we were specially created by God. God uniquely. God had created us in a special way. Well, as we go on, notice what it says in verse number four. And these are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God had made earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord hath not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground now notice in verse 7 and the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So God had fashioned us out of the dust of the earth. He created man out of the dust of the earth. Then God breathed his breath into man. And that breath made him a living soul. Once again, God created us special and unique from the rest of God's creation. Notice in verse number 8, it talks about that God had planted the Garden of Eden. And that he had planted uh, all that was in there. As we jump down now to um, verse number, um, excuse me, all the way down to verse number uh, 16 and 17. Notice God had given man a command. And the Lord commanded uh, the man saying, out of the tree of the garden, thou mayest eat freely. So out of every tree you can have, except for one, that is mine. Only one rule. And the Lord God said it, it, Uh, Verse 17, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God said, here, I'm going to make it easy. One rule. That's it. Now, you could think, I could survive with just one rule. One rule in life. You could do anything you want. You could eat anything in life. God says, one rule. Don't eat of this. 
Now, may I ask you the question, why? Was that tree poisonous? Was the fruit bad? It was not. We'll see later on that when Eve saw it was good for food. Then what made it wrong? Well, the only thing that makes anything wrong is because God said it was wrong. And so God had given man a choice by putting a boundary with something that wasn't necessarily going to harm him, wasn't going to hurt him. He wasn't going to eat it and then die. But the only thing that God said is, I want you to see if you're willing to choose to obey me. And so I'm putting a rule. This is mine. You could have everything else. Can you obey that one rule? One rule. Well, let's see how well they do. The next thing I want to show you is Adam with his wife. Adam with his wife. Now, God had created man all by himself. Notice the condition of man in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I am so glad that God saw that and saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. You leave man by himself and we can barely take care of ourselves. You ever seen an apartment of a single guy? It's like got deer heads and banana crates and milk crates. And he's happy with it. We need help. And so God says, it's not good that he's been left alone. He's going to need a help. He's going to need someone to help him out. Now notice what God did. Verse number 19. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Now, this is special. This is great. God had already made the plants and animals beforehand. But on day number six, God in front of Adam created all the creatures once again. You know what that told Adam? That God was the creator. He got to see for himself God making every creature. So God would make an elephant. Hey, Adam, will this help you out? Yes, that's probably a good thing, but it's not a helpmate. It's not going to satisfy. Okay, how about this? How about we create a dog? Well, you know, that looks like it could be man's best friend, but it's not going to fill. It's not going to be my helpmate. How about a cat? A cat who thinks it rules everything. Probably not. Probably not going to satisfy. And, and so God created all of these. A parrot. A bird. A wolf. He created all the animals. You know the porky, uh, uh, the porcupine. Well that's probably not something I want to get close to. And so God created all of these. And God allowed him to have a survey of all of God's creation. And God did this on purpose. So man can say these will not satisfy me. It's great to have a pet, and pets are wonderful, but they're not the same as a helpmate. Notice what God did now. Verse number 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. Now let me pause there. Some people will say, well, how did God name all of those animals? Well, there's only about, I'm going off the top of my head, about 7,000 different kinds of animals. And so if he named the animals once every two minutes, if I remember right, it would only take a couple hours to name all of the animals. So it wasn't something that was going to be a week-long process. God just gave them a dog kind, a cat kind, and gave the different kinds of animals. But they all did the survey. Adam looked at them. Nope, these will not satisfy me. They will not be a help me. Notice in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. Let me pause there. 
Genesis has so much. I wish I could just dig into all of it and stop everywhere. But do you know the guy who invented anesthesia invented it because of this verse? He said, if God was kind enough to put Adam to sleep before surgery, maybe we should do the same thing. And aren't you glad for people who invented anesthesia to help us out? And so, by the way, that comes from the Bible. Because God knew what he was doing. He puts Adam into a deep sleep. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. So he took one of the ribs. And by the way, a preacher said this. That God took of his ribs so that way his wife could be on his side. He didn't make it uh, so it was above him or below him. It was so she would be on his side and they could go together. Now, verse 22. And the rib which God had created from man made he a woman and brought her to the man. Now let me pause there. Again, Genesis has so many things. There are some people who believe in what is called theistic evolution. Meaning that can evolution and the Bible work together? Well, this verse kind of cancels that. Because you could kind of almost maybe stretch and explain Adam being uh, from evolution. But you can't explain Eve if you believe in the Bible as it is coming from evolution. This came from a special creation of surgery that God did taking the rib out of. So again, I believe the Bible is true and is literally true all the way through. That Adam and his wife Eve were special creations of God. Notice this goes on. Verse 23. And Adam said, sorry, 22. And the rib which God had made from the man made he a woman and brought her Unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh in my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, so because of this, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Now, does Adam and Eve technically have a father and mother? No. But what we're seeing is that there's a principle now put into play. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they shall, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this is pretty amazing. God had created Eve from taking a rib from Adam. And now for the rest of the life, those two that used to be one, those two are going to work all of their life to become one again. And become, by the way, become one in body, of soul, and of spirit. Remember, God made us three parts. And by the way, if you're trying to squeeze two different individuals back together as one, there's probably going to be some friction from time to time. There's probably going to be some challenges. But that's the goal, is that they become one in spirit. One in soul. One in body. That they serve God together as one unit. Moving forward for God. This is what God had created. And we see the principle here of marriage. This pattern of marriage. Now with this, let's cover to the main event. We saw Adam in creation. Adam and his wife. Now we see Adam and his choice. Notice with me at the very last verse of, verse number, of chapter number 2 and verse number 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. And notice this. And were not ashamed. You understand the word ashamed? This is the first emotion that is put in the Bible. That in chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, there's been no emotions stated. I just happen to be doing a study on emotions and I've learned quite a bit things that I didn't understand before. But this is interesting that God would put a special verse to declare that there was not the emotion of being ashamed right now. 
Here is man, here is woman, they're living in the Garden of Eden, and as long as they were doing what was right, they were not ashamed to be in God's presence. They were not ashamed of their circumstances. They were not ashamed of the things that were going on in their life. They did not have this emotion of being ashamed, but that is about to change. Notice with me in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, by the way, we understand this is the devil who has now put him in a form. Oh, I'm kicking every other stone while I'm here. Some people translate that word serpent as snake. The word serpent literally carries the idea of a um, reptile type creature, a lizard type creature. We know in the book of... um, (laughs) Several books, the book of Job and the book of uh, Revelation, especially chapter 12, that Satan always likes to be called the great dragon. The word dragon just carries the idea of a big lizard. And so what is more picture of pride, by the way, the book of Job says that he is the king of the children of pride, a snake hanging from a tree or a wise, majestic dragon? It's neither here nor there, but... I'm telling you what I believe from my own studies, that he was not a snake hanging from a tree. It makes the story a little bit different to have a wise dragon known throughout all the ages as their wisdom to be talking to Eve right now and to be imparting his wisdom to this lowly human. Neither here nor there. If you want to believe it's a snake, that's cool too. I'm just telling you my idea of the story. Verse number three. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice the very first question that God gives, or that Satan gives to humankind, to Eve here, is a question. And the question is meant to cause doubt on God's word. What he has done is Satan has questioned the authority of God's word. Yea, hath God said. Are you sure that's what God said? I know that you've been delivered God's word, but is it really what God had said? Is it really the authority that it holds? Notice he goes on in verse number two. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, she's already made a mistake. She is added to God's word. God says that you shall not eat of it. She said, not only are we supposed to not eat of it, we're not even supposed to touch it. So now she's gone to an undefensible position. She didn't stand on where God said. Now, again, Satan's trying to do that on purpose. He's trying to knock her off of the authority. She's not standing on the authority of what God said. So she's now added to it. Verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Not only has now he questioned the authority of God's word, now he has questioned the accuracy of God's word. He said, God didn't really mean that. That's not what he meant by it. That's not a true statement. It is not accurate. May I also tell you, Satan always does this today. 
The very first thing he tries to do is get you to doubt God's authority of his word. If God didn't say it, then I don't have to believe it. If this isn't what really God meant, he starts going to the question, the, the accuracy. Well, that's not really what it means. That's not really what it was supposed to mean. And he causes doubt, which now believe, comes to disbelief. Notice he goes on again in verse number 5. For God doth know that in the day that you eat of, that, year I, or that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now what has happened, he's questioned the acceptability. Meaning that this, you don't have to believe that word. It is not for you. So he has caused doubt, which has now caused disbelief, which is now going to bring to disobedience. You understand, this is how Satan always works. He tries to question God's word and get you where you don't believe God's word. He's be trying to teach you that the Bible is not true. It's not accurate. It's not what you're supposed to have. And therefore, it's easier for you to disobey it, to doubt it, to set it aside, not to accept it. Now, notice what happened in verse number six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now notice this, the tree was not poisonous and there was nothing wrong with the fruit. The only thing that made it wrong is because God said it was wrong. By the way, what makes anything wrong? Why is lying wrong? Because God said it was wrong. Why is adultery wrong? Because God said it was wrong. What makes anything right or wrong? Because God said it was wrong. And why does he have the authority to do so? Because he's God. He's the one who created. He's the boss. He's the master. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired, now emotion is starting into it. She saw it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. It was good to look at. And now the emotions got involved. The second emotion mentioned within the scripture here, desire. Now she desired to have it, to make one wise, and she took the fruit thereof and did eat. So now she looks at the fruit, she's thinking about it. Well, God said, I'm not supposed to touch it, but you know, did he really mean that? Satan has tried to put an emphasis here that God is holding back on you, that you would have a better time without that. God is trying to hold good things from your life. So therefore, I don't want to miss out on the good things in my life. So I'm choosing not to believe God's word. I'm choosing not to accept God's word. I'm going to take and eat. But notice this, and gave unto her husband also with her, and he did eat. Now here's the problem. Satan has got his ultimate accomplishment. He has turned the sinner to a seducer. Was it Satan that got Adam to sin? No. It was Eve. Now the problem that happened with Eve. Is that she was deceived. She was lied to. She was fooled. And she was deceived into sinning. But for Adam he was not deceived. It was a choice. He knew what God said. Because he heard God say it. He heard what God declared. But he also saw her. That she had sinned and he had a choice. Do I obey God and be separated from her? Or do I choose her and be separated from God? And with that he made a conscious 
willful choice. And that's why Adam is the one who is punished. And Adam is the one who is saying he's the one who fell. Because Eve, she was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He was just disobedient. He made a willful choice to go against what God said. Now, when this happened, everything changed. If you don't mind, let's see some of these results that happened concerning mankind because of sin. First of all, there was spiritual death. Spiritual death. Notice with me back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, when Adam ate the fruit, did he just conk over? No. Because we understand that there is a spiritual death that went on. That we understand the word death carries the idea of separation. Like if we had a funeral here, we would say that the person inside of the casket is dead. Their body is here, but their soul is separated out. There's a separation. Well, the Bible says the moment that you decide to sin and go against God, there is going to be a separation between us and God. The moment that happens, there is death. There is spiritual death. We are now separated from God. The Bible talks about this later on in his word in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 that we're dead in our we're already dead in our trespasses and sin. Romans 5:12 speaks of this as well. But not only is there spiritual death, something else has also come. Physical death has begun to occur. At this time, they begin to degenerate. The process of aging and growing um into physical death begin to occur that day. Notice with me, if you don't mind, and part of this uh, consequence in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Now, because of the consequence of death, or because of the consequence of sin, they are now going to physically die. The moment they, they chose to sin, there was spiritual separation between them and God. But now they're also beginning the process of physical death. And God declared unto him, one day you were going to die. You came from the ground and you're going back into the ground. That's a consequence of the sin that is where you're headed. Do you know that God had originally created them and us for an eternal existence? In fact, each of us have an eternal soul. When you die, you don't stop existing. You will live somewhere forever. But our body is not going to make it. We have this physical death. Not only as consequence for sin do we have spiritual death. We now have the process of physical death. But we also have this guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, the very last verse, God made a big emphasis that they were not ashamed. And God says they didn't have to worry about this emotion of being ashamed. But notice with me now in Genesis 3 verse 7. And the eyes of them both, Adam and Eve, were open. And they knew that they were naked. Now were they naked before? They were. But now something has happened. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the tree of the garden. 
And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he, Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden because I was, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So notice this. Now because of their sin, they now have the emotions of guilt and shame. And that's what sin does to us. Nobody likes to be pointed out that we sin. No one likes to be pointed out that we're wrong. In fact, so much pride gets involved that we want to deny that we've done something wrong. Because of that guilt and that shame. That's part of the consequences that has occurred. Is because we've failed God. Because we've messed up. We now have to deal with guilt and shame. Some people have studied this. And they have some verses in there. That when God created Adam and Eve. They were actually created with a garment of light. And the moment that they sinned. That light went out. It's neither here nor there. But that's interesting if it would. The light went out. Ties into uh, the millennial kingdom quite a bit too. When God remakes and gives us a brand new redeemed body. What's another consequence? We know that there's spiritual death. There's physical death. There's now guilt and shame. But what else? Broken fellowship with God. Broken fellowship with God. Now as they came into the garden. They heard God talking. And they're hiding. They no longer have that close fellowship with God. But they've now run away. And they're afraid of God. That sin has put a wedge between us and the Lord. That God wants to be close to us. But sin has put us far away and made it so because of our sin. We cannot approach God and God can't be close to us. That sin has to be taken care of before we could enter into that close intimate relationship. But that sin has now put a wedge. There's now a fear. Of approaching God because of our sin. You know the wrong kind of fear produces a fear of entering into the presence of God. One of the amazing things as I deal with folks. Is that when people are not right with God. They don't want to pray. They don't want to talk with God. They feel like they can't. Because they won't get right with their sin. They just can't talk to God. And they're miserable. It makes them miserable. You know, you could always tell about the unconfessed sin in your life by how bold you are in your prayer life. Whether it's like, hi God, hi, see you later. Or if you have that intimate times with God and be able to speak with Him and to be close with Him and ask Him and to search you and to be with Him. What keeps our prayer life distant? Sin. Sin. There's one more thing I want to highlight. Again, I could spend messages and messages on this passage here. But one more consequence because of sin. The loss of blessings. The loss of blessings. Notice with me in chapter number 3 starting at verse 22. And the Lord said, Behold, the man has become one of us. No, pause there. This is a big statement. What does this mean? To know good and evil. You know what the whole thing is? The problem is, is that we have to choose who is God in our life. Either God is God or we are God. Either God determines what's right and wrong in our life or we determine what's right or wrong in our life. That's what Satan was trying to tell Eve at the very beginning. He knows that if you make a choice to serve sin against God... That you will become as gods. That you will now determine what's right and wrong in your life. 
So I feel like this is right in my life. So it is right in my life. How many times has that got people in trouble? Because we determined what was right and wrong. And it's so hard for us to allow God to be God. To allow him to tell us what is right. To allow him to tell us what is wrong. God should be God. But because of that sin, we have that loss of fellowship. We have the loss of blessings. And now we have that consequence in us that we are now responsible for our own finding out what's right for God. Finding out what's wrong. We now have to determine what's right and wrong for life. And we have to stand and give an account for him. Life has become a lot more complicated instead of allowing God to tell us what's right and wrong and do that. We now have to find it for ourselves and try to weigh it out and do what's right. And as most of us say, that's the hard part of life. You come to a decision. Is this the woman I'm supposed to marry? Well, that's a big consequence, isn't it? If you marry the wrong one, that's a big consequence. If you marry the right one, that's a great consequence. How do I know? I got to determine. I'm going to weigh the pros and cons. Wouldn't it be easier if you just allowed God to say, God, that's the one you get. Yes, sir. We make things complicated because now we have to determine what's right and what's wrong. Notice as it goes on. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You know, because of this, Adam was expelled, kicked out from the garden of Eden. God had designed and desired Adam to live in that garden. But because of man's sin, he can no longer enjoy the blessings of the Garden of Eden. He no longer can enjoy other blessings. That was a loss, by the way, when we sin, all of these consequences are still a factor in our life. Whether it's the emotions of guilt and shame, whether it's the distance of fellowship, broken fellowship of God, or even the loss of blessings. You say, preacher, what determines right and wrong God determines right and wrong. Remember, it's all based off of God's word. Now, Satan and our flesh want us to question the authority of God's word. They want us to question the accuracy of God's word. And they want us to bring us to the place of questioning the acceptancy of God's word. Is this for me? What Satan wants to do is he wants you to doubt God's word then you'll disbelieve God's word. Then you'll disobey God's word. It all is based off of this. Do you believe God's word or not? Can you trust God or not? And so that's the determination. First of all, dear friend, have you restored that fellowship with God? Because of sin, you've been separated. But God didn't want us to be separated. And so what he did is he sent his son, Jesus. He robed himself in flesh and lived on this earth. He lived the same life that you and I lived. Went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for our sin debt. To restore that fellowship between you and I. 
Jesus died, was put on a borrowed tomb, and on the third day he rose again. When Jesus rose the third day, it proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God. Second of all, it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. And that all you have to do to restore that fellowship with God is to accept Jesus as your Savior to forgive you of all of your sins. Dear friend, if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, I want to give you encouragement and hope that you could get that taken care of right now. As for those who are saved, meaning you know for sure that your sins are forgiven based off of the Bible, you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, then dear friend, let me tell you the fight that you have. Do you believe God's word or not? Will you obey God's word or not? Will you allow Him to determine what's right and wrong in your life? Or are you going to say, no, I am God of my life. I'm going to determine what's right and wrong in my own life. Basically, I'm asking you, dear friend, how is your fellowship with God? Are you close to Him or are you fighting against Him? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.